Boom, 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 cling, boom, boom, boom. This is the fun part where we talk about the program that we are about to record, and but we're going to keep it in. This is something that happens on the podcast I listen to, where long before they get to the introduction, they just start talking about what's going on in their lives. My name is John Hodgman. I just took a nap on the floor. There's Elliot Kalen over there. Elliot, you're over there in Los Angeles. I am. And uh, also, we have Jordan Cowling, our producer. Hello, Jordan. Hi, John. I just ate an entire pizza. Really? Mm-hmm. It's delicious. You never see them eating pizza in the village, that's for sure. That's true. Do you think- Not enough Ninja Turtles. Need more Ninja Turtles <laughs> in the village. Because <laughs> you know they'll demand it. We're talking about this second episode, The Chimes of Big Ben, but I think all three of us were like, didn't we already do this? Did we already talk about this episode? Or is this the episode? There is something, there's something very appropriate for this show. A little deja vuistic about this to me. And I think it's because one million years ago when we recorded the first episode of this podcast. I think that's a big part of it. Is we, I, is that I, for the, for yeah. the listening audience, it's been instantaneous between episode one and two. But that's for true. us, it's been quite some time. John's beard is much longer. That's I right. have much less hair. Uh, right. Jordan looks the same. She is amazingly well-preserved all the time. Uh, right. Black don't crack, baby. <laughs> I fell down on the floor and I haven't gotten up since then. I've been sleeping the entire time. You went, you went into what, what you call hodgepurnation, where, yeah, you, right. where, where, you, where you just fall asleep wherever you are and, and just stay that way for months. But certainly the audience was at the very, I think you're absolutely right in presuming that the audience at the very end of the last episode was like, I'm not stopping. Let's go. Let's go to episode mm-hmm. two of Be Potting You, a prisoner <laughs> podcast presented by Perfect Pals and <laughs> Explosive Plosives. Eating prodigious pizza. Elliot Kalin. Hello. And John Hodgman with producer Jordan Cowling. Hello. Be seeing you. I am seeing you now. <laughs> no, be seeing you is what you say at the end. They are, they think the episode's over what now. What do they say oh, to no. each other in the village when they see each other for the first time? The day, uh, maybe, day. They, maybe they say, I'm seeing you. I'm seeing you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Or I'm hearing you. It's a very therapy-based village. Yeah. The name of this podcast is Be Potting You, right? <laughs> yes. Okay, at least I got that right. The reason that for the delay has been that um, not only did I fall down on the floor and take a nap for, for in my hodgepurnation, <laughs> but I sent my astral form to go act in a upcoming Hulu romantic comedy musical called Up Here. Hmm. And, it, and it made my, my prisoner watching and my podcast making more complicated than before. And I apologize for the delay that the listeners do not perceive, but that you do, Elliot, because I haven't spoken to you for a long time, and I've I've uh, I've missed it very much. Oh, thanks. I missed you too. The only time that the only time you're not speaking to me got to me was when I sent you a, a real life photograph of me reading my four year old son the hobo names from your first book, The Areas right. of My Expertise, and right. you did not respond at all. And I was I like, Wow, I what did I, I do? I couldn't respond. <laughs> so, but couldn't the respond. but uh. Because but the, during moment this... that I, the moment I received it, I shredded my phone. <laughs> no, I don't know why it was. I don't know why it was so insulting. I cannot, to- I... I cannot tolerate this sent this mawkish sentiment <laughs> that I was sharing your work with my nearest and dearest, uh, yeah, and right. you really so enjoyed it. I just it. tossed my phone into the phone shredder, <laughs> and then a, and then a new phone dropped from the sky. That's the final perk that I get from Apple. 
Oh wow, <laughs> that's a lifetime sh- subscription to the Skyphone. Yeah. yeah, the Skyphone it drops, it dropping <laughs> dropping every time I shred a, a, an iPhone. The Skyphone dropping right now. Your child is adorable. You are adorable. I apologize for not responding. I was probably no, busy. no. It's okay. I guess I would say it's connected to the reason why it's been harder for me to schedule uh, while you were busy too, which is because I was mm-hmm. trapped in the village that is my own house, a prisoner of my children's desires and demands, uh, as they come up with ever new and strange ways to not go to school when during right. the day and and hang around home all the time. What are some uh, of their most recent schemes? A lot of it involves uh, picking up various illnesses that is not a surprise since they're constantly touching things and putting their hands in their mouths and, right. and you know, sticking their hands in their butts and things like that. And uh, as kids do, uh, or one of the, uh, my younger son, his teacher was sick. And so they just said no school for four days. And I was like, this is not how it worked when I was a young child that, uh, that you would just have no school if the teacher was unavailable. Um, but now, thankfully, uh, I think I've managed to escape. They're both in school today. But, of course, as we know, next week the, the prison doors will come clanging shut in front of me as it turns Clang. out that one, one of their schools fell into a sinkhole and they can't go or they, uh, they're they allergic to the outdoors now or something like that. Your, you life, your life will appropriately imitate the monotonous repetition that is every episode of the prison. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what say monotonous repetition, but we, that is a good way for us to get into this episode. The chimes of Big I, Ben. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think part of the reason why I feel like we've discussed the chimes of Big Ben before, which is the second episode of the television series, the prisoner about which this we'll, podcast we'll, is. We'll talk about that as if, whether it really is the second episode or not, but continue. Whoa, you're going to drop a, a rover mind bomb on me? You're going to rover mm-hmm. me with some mind truths? Mm-hmm. I'm going to send a rover out, out after you as you assemble the chronology of the series and drag you back into the into the, the ambiguous mists that are everything that is involved I, with the prisoner. I would imagine the rickety chronology of the series that I, that I am assembling is more likely to float than that dumb boat he tried to make. <laughs> we'll get to that, too. That ama- I would say amazing boat. Uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, look, definitely it's in my notes. Uh, let's put a pin in that boat. Actually, don't put a pin in that boat because <laughs> no, then the boat sink. will have no chance of floating. <laughs> One pin prick alone in that tarp that they magically found. Oh, I've got so many things to say about that boat. But yes, I think that I've seen this episode 35 times <laughs> as I've well, I- tried over the years to watch because I love the first episode of The Prisoner, Arrival. Mm-hmm. And I want to love The Prisoner so badly, but it's always... By this episode, the second number arguable, two, <laughs> that I'm like, I don't know what to, what else is there for me to see, but we'll talk about it. We'll talk about I th- it. We'll talk about it. I th- so the chimes of Big Ben. Let's get into that that chronology let's, exercise. Uh, oh boy, this is so, what everyone is listening for the chronology. Mm-hmm. So section. chimes of Big Ben is is very frequently. Normally, when I'm listening to be potting you, I uh, fast forward through all the chit chat so I can get to uh, <laughs> the most pedantic chronological. <laughs> Uh, uh, production history that Elliot brings uh, at the at the top of the show. Go ahead. Thank you, fan, for calling in. I don't know how you knew that we were recording right now, but I appreciate your breaking into our feed <laughs> like just, that, like that guy with the uh, Max Headroom mask years ago on that Public Access channel. Uh, uh, put a pin, put a pin in that. Jordan Cowling, do you know about that? Max Headroom. What's his name? Headroom. Max Headroom. Max, well, but the Max, Max Headroom this... <laughs> piracy incident. I have no idea. What I'm too young okay. for this. What, what are if we? If you don't, yeah, I'm, you're, you are. <laughs> You are, Very much, yeah. To paraphrase Danny Glover, you're too and young you're thinking for this of shit. Pr- <laughs> wow, you really stepped right on. Sorry you really about that. Stepped and all me. I was gonna, and all I was gonna say was, you're thinking of Predator 2's Danny Glover. <laughs> <laughs> 
please put a pin in the Max Headroom television piracy incident in Chicago. If we have time in this episode, we'll talk about it. And if we don't, we'll talk about it in our next episode, which we plan to record within the next uh, decade. Several years, yeah. Okay. Uh, production I th- I chronology. Say, this is not the second so, episode, yes or no? Production-wise, no, this is not the second episode. It was originally broadcast Ooh. as the second episode in the UK, and in on, the, on DVD releases Ooh. and things and online, it's the second episode. But if you watch the episode... There's a number of times when it's made very clear that number six, again, this is the show, and the episode opens with a kind of recap of what happened in the previous episode, that number six is a spy, he resigned, he got kidnapped, and they're trying to find out why he resigned. Uh, There's a number of mentions that make it feel like number six has been there for a while, and as you'll see, as we'll see in the plot, when number eight shows up, number six is really showing her the ropes. There are episodes that are often coming after this, and the chronology is available, where he keeps saying, I'm new here. I don't know what's going on. I just got here. And so it seems likely that this episode, yeah. if, you want, if you're going by internal evidence, would be a little later. The reason why I think this is often the second episode, other than the reason why it was aired second, and the reason I think maybe it was aired second is, this is the most, I feel like this is the most kind of boilerplate prisoner episode, where, spoiler alert, he has a plan to escape, he thinks he's going to escape, he doesn't escape, and two, because that's the best number two in the series, Leo McKern, who is the only actor who plays lead number two more than once in the series. As you will see in the next Not episode true. of Be Potting You, Not he true. comes back for the Who, who plays Not. it again in, in the series? Colin Gordon. Colin Gordon. Okay. P- played the prisoner in... Played, played number two. Me, played number two twice in A, B, and C, and then an episode called The General. Okay. Oh, okay. I forgot that he was in both of those. A, B, and C, a, B, and C I is a... I never knew because of, I don't think I've ever seen The General. I think I've seen A, B, and C. The general involves a uh, a computer that sends out subliminal messages to people, uh, and I think that's the one where at the end he destroys the computer by asking it why, and it can't answer that question, so it explodes. Uh, so if I'm remembering the episode this correctly, some, this is some really sophomore philosophy class stuff that's going on yeah. in this prison. He goes and he, he goes. He he asks it. He writes in a question. He doesn't show it to the others, and he sends the computer, and the computer you know breaks, and they go, "What question do you ask?" He goes, "W, H." Why? And he might say question mark, but I can't remember if he says question mark. But it's it's basically the the entire joke of deep thought from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is the legitimate ending of that episode. But so okay, so Leo McKern, okay. he's not the only person who did it twice. He's the only well, person who played it in three episodes. Only, he's the that's true. Okay, and although, he's the, although although technically it's only two episodes because uh, I call the set the, the, the end penultimate episode and the final episode are really two, uh, one two parter. They're a two-parter, but still. Uh, it's a, Leo it's McKern, a bumper episode, as they call it in the UK. That's the term he, they use. <laughs> lorries and lifts and bumper episodes and such. Be potting you, fan. I was so glad you called in before. Now I kind of don't need you to, to interact too I'm much always, more with us. I'm always, I'm always here surveilling you. <laughs> Very prisonery. Okay, thanks, I guess. Liam McKern, just plays like, number two. Just like number two's Weasley assistant, played by Christopher Benjamin. We'll talk about him later. All right. <laughs> so here we go. Let me let me let me back off. Let me back off because what you're saying is important and true. This is the Leo McKern show right now. Yes. This yes. episode and 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 the later episodes, but Leo McKern, the definitive number two, Rumpole of the Bailey himself. You go. Yes. Tell me all about him. 
Leo McKern, if for people who haven't who only know him from The Prisoner, I'm sure you'll recognize him from other things. He was in a lot of things. He was in A Man for All Seasons. He was in The French Lieutenant's Woman. He was in Omen 1 and 2. He was in Lady Hawk. He's was in England. He's probably still best known as the star of Rumpole of the Bailey. Right. Uh, and he, I was reading about him today, and it talked about how he hated – he says – that he hated how much Rumpole the Bailey overshadowed the rest of his acting career. And he said, oh, when I die, it'll say, known to millions as Rumpole the Bailey. And I'm like, I wonder how it would feel for him to know that in America, he's probably best known for being in three episodes of The Prisoner. And like <clears throat> the rest of his acting career is overshadowed. Inclu- I mean, that's not a terrible bad thing. He plays one of the bad guys in Help in Brownface, and that's not great. Uh, so, but otherwise, he's... Re- and in this in this show, let me he is say real... This, let me say this to the to the late... Leo McKern, the great actor, yes. complaining about being known for Rumpole of the Bailey. The the British uh, solicitor, as they say. Mm-hmm. We would say lawyer. Yeah, they it, say solicitor. Yeah. They say solicitor, who always gets his clients off, who played that role from, I think, 1975 to 1992. <laughs> Let me say to him and his estate, wham, wham, wham. <laughs> Well put. Sorry you were so upset to have the role of a lifetime for over two decades. (laughs) To be famous and successful in your chosen career. Yeah. But you know how it is. Well, and not just that, but to have a chance. I mean, I'm not just talking about all of the pounds sterling he probably picked up. This is the BBC. Maybe they paid him in fish and chips for all I know. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Oh, you get a free television license this year, Leo McKern. That's your payment. Yeah, yeah. But he was so, I mean, I didn't watch Rumpole of the Bailey, but my mom sure did. And boy, oh boy, could that guy make faces and say words, and that's what acting is. <laughs> and he had a great time doing it in that show and in The Prisoner. I don't know what he was complaining about. And when, so listeners to our previous podcast, I, Podius, will remember that Jordan's mom had kind of a thing for Patrick Stewart in, in I, Claudius. How did your mom feel about Leo McKern and Rumpole of the Bailey? Was she ever like, he can Rumpole my Bailey anytime? Please don't say that to me. Yeah. Wow. John, so how, but yeah, how did your mom feel about her? About him? How, how did my Jordan, mom? You don't have to answer. Jordan, okay. we, know who you had a, who we know who your mom's British TV crush was. I'm, I'm curious about whether this was John's British TV crush, yeah. his mom's. Do you think this was my mom's TV crush? Maybe. No. no. I don't know I your don't... mom well enough. That's why I'm asking these questions, to learn. No. That was, I don't... Uh... Who was your because I know because my mom I know her movie crush was Robert Redford I don't know if she had a TV crush my mom had a movie crush named Denzel Washington oh yeah sure and I don't know if she had a TV crush but I think she appreciated the acting of Rumpole I mean of <laughs> Leo McKern see you're doing Rumpole. you're doing exactly what he didn't want you're confusing the character with the actor oh man I will mention uh, Denzel Washington I don't Washington care what is, he wants. <laughs> And, and he's dead, so it doesn't matter. Denzel Washington, of course. Uh, Max Headroom. I get it's it. It's not time yet. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Thank, but I'm glad you get the, the pun of the name. Uh, so I was going to mention my, my dumb Denzel Washington joke about how our nation's capital is named after him. Washington, D.C. stands for Washington, Denzel City. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people don't know that. So, uh, Pretty good. How dare you, though? How <laughs> thank dare you. you. But I think that's why I think Leo McKern, he, he's giving big Sydney Green Street energy. He is the laughing, mm. affable, but sinister right. bad guy who is, there's a lot of like, oh, number six, you are a you are an intriguing fellow. Oh, a sense of humor. We must applaud that. He put it in his file. There's a lot of that kind of energy, which is uh, which is so uh, love, like I love it. I love that. stuff. If you are watching if you are watching this one. So th- this episode, 
I'm going to call it the second episode because everyone does. I don't know why you're everyone doing does. We might as well say. I think we, we can call it. Uh, we, you know, what we'll call we'll call it. Let much as the uh, uh, people say BCE before the Common Era when they just want to say BCE. Let's let, let's call this prisoner episode two E for two comma everybody calls it that <laughs> two episode also known <laughs> as episode two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And France is known <laughs> right. Okay. Anyway. It opens with the with what will become the classic opening dialogue between number two and number six. I am not a number. What what do you want? Information. Yeah. You won't get it by hook or by crook. We will number six. Yeah. Who are you? I am the new I'm number, number two. two. I'm number two. Who is number one? You are. You number are six. number six. Right. Exactly. I will not yeah. be stamped, but indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. I am a free man. <laughs> Are we not going to talk about how number six eats a boiled two boiled eggs and whole milk for breakfast every morning? It's <laughs> we'll super we'll, yeah, we we'll haven't get even to that. Gotten we'll to get to that. Okay. It's <laughs> called a classic English breakfast, but we'll get to that. <laughs> you put your finger on something which I always liked about the show, which is number six is a weird guy. He is he's supposed to be like an I think Patrick McGowan sees him as like an everyman, a symbol of the anonymous everyman. He is a weird dude and he talks in a weird way and he's mean to everybody. He's, <laughs> he's such a specific character. Well before he's, we started recording, we were talking about cats, and uh, I think that he's pretty much got the personality of of your common house cat. I like it. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Yeah. yeah. yeah and McGowan is kind of a good right. cat's name. Yeah. McGowan is a good cat's name. I like that <laughs> a lot. Yeah, he uh, he is he has a house cat kind of a-hole personality, particularly in this episode. What I was going to say is that, like, if you were watching this episode for the first time and you had not seen the first episode, you would have imagined that this was the 35th episode. Yes. About a... About two guys living in a weird (laughs) community (laughs) who kind of love each other. (laughs) But it's a real odd couple vibe. Like they really feel quite lived in together. They, they it's for a know. guy who's the newish number two. Yeah, it feels right. like they've known each other for a long time. And I think that's yeah. another reason this episode is such a favorite is because Patrick McGoon and Liam McKern have such fantastic chemistry together. In they that have way. good. They have good, as they say on Love Island, uh, Love Island UK, which I watch, which is a, a stealth remake of The Prisoner. <laughs> they, put, <laughs> they put a bunch of beautiful people on an island and it make them fall in love. In real love, no less. They have good bants. They have good banter with each other throughout this thing. But let's talk about the prisoner's morning routine, for indeed, that is what is being surveilled at the beginning of this episode. Patrick McGowan is getting up and shoving eggs in his mouth and doing some true McGowan mad at things acting. Well, well he's been woken up by, by the public announcements that he cannot turn off. Your local council, and remember it is your local council, democratically elected by you, has decided to organize a great new competition. Can you paint? Can you draw? Can you model in clay? If you can, then your day is just six weeks today. More about this later, but now, music. And he's very mad. He doesn't like it. He ends up putting the radio in the fridge to shut it up. Oh, and, and Liam McKern loves it. Oh, a sense of humor. I must update the file. That's later on, I think. <laughs> but he loves it. And then you remember how he's throwing things around all the time? As number two says in this one, he can make even the act of putting a dressing gown on appear as a measure of defiance. He's so (laughs) angry when he throws on that robe. Everything he does, he's angry at the world. I mean, the world is against him constantly. And, uh, you know, all he's trying to do is be a guy with a name. No, it's not. (laughs) I mean, the village is. The village isn't even against him. (laughs) I mean, the fact of the matter is... 
whether this is episode two or 35, this guy's got a nice apartment. He's got all the boiled eggs he can eat. Definitely in this episode, he feels like he's got the village down. He's laughing at it in its face. He's laughing at number two in his face. Like things could be a lot worse for That's him. true. He's definitely you know gone from mean? being, the, he's gone from being the guy who's afraid of where he is and the guy who is like an angry rebel to be a guy who is an angry rebel who also is incredibly comfortable in the place. <laughs> like he's, I think yeah. Jordan's comparison is very apt. He's like a house cat who's like sitting around on the couch giving you a look and you're like, what? I, what you, I feed you every day. Why are you giving me that look? You poop in a box and I clean it up. Why? And the cat is just saying back to you like, I'm going to escape from this place and then I'm going to come here and tear it all to the ground. Which yeah, is what Patrick McGowan says. So so the cat in this, so sim, I'm going to combine them into a character I'm calling Catrick McGowan. And so Catrick <laughs> McGowan, he, they Brother. both are mad that they get everything they want, but it's only if they live on someone else's terms. On someone they have to right. They have to abide right. by the, and it's like, you're you're na- you're now Mr. Whiskers. No, I'm Monkastrap. That's my name, Monkastrap. It's my name that I gave myself. No, I'm calling you Mr. Whiskers. That's your name now. So like he doesn't get to use his own name. He doesn't right. have the freedom of movement outside the village, and so that chafes at him. Both the he cat doesn't have and the Patrick dignity McGowan. that he feels he is entitled to. Yes, the, the, and that's why when he the says dignity of self, and when he says at the end, I'm I'm not a number. I'm a free man. A cat would say that too because cats think they're human beings that can have. <laughs> can do That's whatever right. they want and have jobs and things That's like right. that. It's like when I give my cat, uh, my cat will drink out of my water glass, but if I pour water in a water glass for my cat to drink out of, it will not drink it. It's right. Exactly. Exactly. It smart. wants the choice of stealing your water right. rather than rather than having the water handed to it. It's, it's in this weird way that the prisoner is, in the way that a lot of 60s counterculture ideas, because of how power and culture have shifted, are now kind of right-wingish libertarian populist ideas. The idea oh, of, yeah. hey, there's this overbearing mainstream culture and I want to live the way I want to live and they're telling me how I've got to do things their way. That this show, when it was made, was a very 60s counterculture attempt type show from Patrick Boone, who was not a young man at the time, but was trying to tap into that. And it's weird to watch it now because it feels like the people who are arguing that way are the people who are like, I don't want to have to worry about other people's health. Forget about that. And so it's uh, this this show has if we go down that road, the show carries a lot of freight that I don't think it was meant to carry. So let's keep them as a cat, I guess. That's what I'm saying. Let's pretend I didn't go down any of that. Yeah. I mean, if you I, I, I caught this episode, which was labeled episode number two uh, on on YouTube, a popular video sharing channel. And if you check out the comments, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of libertarian slash Q leaning comments in there where it's like, yes, this show is absolutely right there. All, all parties are the same. Uh, there are no sides of, you know, as, as uh, McKern is number two, we'll say later on there, there, there are no sides the sides are becoming identical and the future is the village forever. Yeah. He calls himself and, an optimist. And there's a, uh, there's, it's a, it's something that it just, I mean, it goes to show you how, how art from almost 60 years ago carries different, connotations now than when it was made that it's it's right and that those and that if you look at it i think patron guin means it in a very abstract symbolic way but if you take it in a literal way right then uh then you, it takes you into more antisocial dangerous territory you know yeah uh, and it's, especially and nowadays it's, you know I, I i don't you know it's it's i don't i don't know if i want to say this is a this is a, an upper class white guy with some real upper class white guy problems in this village. 
<laughs> you know, it's, like, it's, pretty, it's a pretty sweet. It's a pretty sweet prison as things go, and it really does come down to like some, some, some little hair splitting around. Like, no, you can't give me a number. I have a name. It's like, yeah, some people didn't even get numbers, dude. <laughs> like, just easy, go easy, pal. Uh, basically, the point is, I want to live in Port Marion, which is no. The, I mean, we've made that clear that you re, you want. I think we were talking I'm about ready. that last time that you would love to live there. I mean, similar. I'm to ready how for you, that. I'm ready how, to get gas through the keyhole of my flat <laughs> and be taken away. You, and how you'd love to go to Tiberius and Thrasyllus's island from my yeah. Claudius. And as we'll see later, that ties in with this this particular episode in a in a fun way. As we'll find out later, uh, so let's keep. So let's let's quickly do the plot rather than go into into John's uh, privileged white guy desire to be kidnapped and have all of his needs taken care of in a magical <laughs> as I deserve. I would love to be a house cat. I would love to be a house. You cat. would be a great house cat. You just took a nap on the floor. You'd be a great <laughs> house cat. Exactly right. I just did, and it was wonderful. <laughs> so I mean, uh, when I haven't worked in an office in twenty-two years. My life has been house catish all this time, just lying down whenever I want to take a little nap, <laughs> get up, wander over, have a little snack, go look out the window for a while, go look at the wall, stare into the middle of space, and see things no other people can see. The only difference <laughs> yeah. is that. I have to write things down from time to time. Also, the other way that a prisoner is not like a cat, or the prisoner is not like a cat, because a cat could take a rover like easy. Oh yeah, just yeah, pop it. Yeah, pop it with your claws. The only yeah. the only thing is the cat would love rover. The cat would want to play with rover. Oh, rover, of course, yeah. is the big bouncy ball, and <laughs> sometimes the three balls that they send after people. But uh, I don't want to get ahead of of your plot somewhere. You, go I wrote ahead, down right? a uh, a nutsack thruple, a big bubble <laughs> thruple. <laughs> Big bubble thruple. I too would li- like to live on the island. I think if you if 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 you enjoyed any part of the past two years, you know, sheltering in place, with like I right. kind of did, uh, then I think maybe you'd you'd enjoy. You might be a redneck. You might enjoy living. If you enjoyed living in a living in a self enclosed environment with only a very small pod of people to interact with, you might be a prisoner. <laughs> If, if you want, if you used to be a spy, and now you're being held in a town where everybody used to be a spy, and they may still be spies, you might be a prisoner. Can I try? If you enjoy eating two boiled eggs, <laughs> really upset you. It did. If, it's so disgusting. Well, tell me about it. Tell me what it was. It was just gross. I just, I'm, I'm sure his cholesterol levels are. Or through the roof. Uh, it's, it's something about the, it's not even so much the boiled eggs. It's something about the combination of two hard boiled eggs and whole milk for breakfast. And whole milk. Yeah. yeah. And there were, there was like meat and stuff in the fridge. So he could have had a more balanced <laughs> breakfast. I don't, I don't. But he was just so mad. He was just so, he was, he was mad at his body. And that's yeah. why he was, that's so, the breakfast he was having. So mad. Yeah. Well, Leo McKern gets the whole thing going in this plot by picking up one of those super futuristic telephones. And Jordan, you were, very kind to go and figure out what kind of telephone that was and you provided me with the information i have it here in front of me but would you do you have it in front of you i found this information on uh on the internet and in, in, in oh. a forum so uh take that with a grain of salt but these are actually a uh, a national interphone model vl-290 from uh 1967 it looks 1967 like. which was when this episode aired so this was state-of-the-art stuff State-of-the-art technology, yes. Top of the line. And And I'm sure for viewers at home, it was this and, like, all the electronic doors and stuff were very futuristic. Oh, yeah. uh, 
And and Britain at this time, I don't think had seesaw technology. So seeing those two guys in in number two's surveillance <laughs> layer, who are always on a big seesaw looking into viewfinders, they were their minds were blown. By their that. minds were blown. Now, yeah. So Leo McKern picks up the picks up the interphone model VL two ninety and is like, "Let me know when that helicopter lands." And then the game of chess that is this episode begins with what? A game of chess in the in the annals of on the nose chess metaphors. <laughs> This one is particularly on the nose as number six is quite disinterestedly destroying uh, a former army general from an army that he refuses to name for a country that he refused to name at chess. And then Leo McKern shoos him away and says, we should play some chess, you and me, number six. And number six, this is just some of the incredible banter they had. He said, yeah, we will someday. By post. <laughs> <laughs> I wish number six had then turned to slowly turned to the camera, given a real Jack Benny take to the camera. <laughs> that was a re- that, that was, line. That was great. Oh, he said he had such a such a couple of burns in this one. But yeah. I like that one. And that's a reference, of course, to chess by mail. Because <laughs> the prisoner doesn't want to be the prisoner. Number six doesn't want to be there. He's like, I'll play chess by mail. Do you uh, you know how you play chess by mail, Elliot? Uh, you, uh, I, I believe you, you write down your move and then mail it to the other person and then they, well, right. What you do is you write down, it's close. You write down your move and then you go, you go on a janky sailboat to Poland (laughs) and then you get mailed in a box to London. Oh, I see. And then you play your move there. (laughs) It seems like a lot of steps to go through, but sounds like entertaining television because that's pretty much what happens. But the prisoner, he doesn't sail on a boat to Poland and get mailed in a crate to London by himself, right? No, that's who's arriving on this helicopter, as I used to call it when I was a little kid. <laughs> it's another, another beautiful woman arriving as bait. It's the exact same plot line it's that happened similar. last time. Very similar. Where, where a woman is thrown into Patrick McGowan's path in the village hoping that he will confess to her what he will not confess to Leo McKern or any of the number twos, why he resigned. And this person's name is Nadia uh, Gray, or mm-hmm. Nadia Kujnir, like Harry Anderson and Harry Stone in Night Court. Mm-hmm. Nadia plays Nadia in this show, The Prisoner, and also Nadia plays Nadia in Fellini's La Dolce Vita. Mm-hmm. She had a lock on Nadia rolls. So I will say it does feel a little bit repetitive that in the uh, previous yes. episode, there was a woman who wanted to escape. And then when she tried to help number six escape, he got caught and it was a trap. And in this one, a woman tries to help him escape and spoiler alert, it turns out to be a trap. I think there are two things, two thoughts I have about this. One, it's another argument for this maybe not being the second episode because it takes real balls to have the same exact plot in the first two episodes of your show. But at the same it doesn't time, take, doesn't take one nor two, but three rovers. <laughs> it takes it takes it a takes thruple. A three thruple bubbles. It, <laughs> it takes, takes a, a thruple bubble. It takes a bubble thruple thruple bubble. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you need triple testicles like Rover to get away with that. But also that uh, the prisoner is about. But at a certain point, the not to sound like a Star Wars prequel diehard nerd, but uh, repetition is a big part of the prisoner and the same kind of cycle of stories. Sometimes the prisoner wins and sometimes he loses, but it's always the same ending of him getting him, he, him stuck in the village. And so it's the, it's the kind of thing where the second time you see it, 
you're like this again but by the third or fourth time you're like oh i get it this is like the point that uh, that it changes but there are other episodes that and like the the episode that i actually kind of like to use when i watch it on my own for the second episode this episode free for all where the prisoner where number six runs for the office of number two and wins and then at the end the woman who's been his assistant the whole time who does not speak any english she just starts slapping him they go to the number two's office and she's like let's push all the buttons you know she's just speaking in this foreign language and pushing buttons and they get giddy and then she starts slapping him and reveals no she's number two this was all a she speaks english this was all a big trap he can go now and so the uh that, that should have been episode two i would have liked it, to watch that that sounds well wild it doesn't have leo mckern in it though i think that's one of the that's one of the that's the that's, that's the weak point but uh it's but it's but i think the the repetition of elements becomes one of the hallmarks of the prisoner but usually it's not this overt that it's literally hey here's a lady she wants to help you escape psych right and leo mckern places her next door to number six and gives her number eight as her designation mm-hmm. but it is revealed that her name is nadia and she is as she claims to be estonian and also is pretty cagey about why she's there although later she will admit that she is there because she claims to have seen the location of the village on a map which becomes mm-hmm. very interesting to patrick mcgoo and of course because he figures it, that if he knows where it is he might be able to get away from it but first he's got to go back and have another bicker sesh with number two (laughs) quick jordan cowling how many lumps of sugar does the prisoner take in his tea well the file says that he doesn't take sugar at all but the 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 house cat that he is he reveals that he actually takes three three lumps of i thought that the file said he takes two and then he adds a third oh i thought that the i thought that the uh that number two said he doesn't take sugar and i can't remember and is this the one where he asked for lemon in his tea or no because that was not the last one that was the the last last one when he he says lemon in his tea and they put an enormous slice of lemon that fills the entire tea mouth of the teacup that you have to you have to use a toothpick to take it out like it's a a massive crouton on top of a bowl of french (laughs) onion soup (laughs) exactly and that, yeah. that always stuck with me as like, that's a huge lemon stick in that tea. I mean, you know, I, now that I think of another, another comparison between the prisoner and a house cat, Jordan, is that when, when he, he didn't drop the sugar into the tea, he just kind of batted it off the table. <laughs> there were just some lumps of sugar on the table and he just batted it off with his <laughs> curled he, up he, hand. Rolled around on the ground a lot, hitting those the, the sugar. Yeah, all but over that the extra place. that extra lump of sugar really put Leo McKern back in his egg chair. He was so <laughs> thrown by that. And I just want to shout out to Leo McKern for being a real sport in having to sit in what looks like the most uncomfortable chair of all time, <laughs> sitting cross legged really cool. in that egg chair. I mean, it looks great, but you know, I, I think I think body wise, I share a lot more in common with Leo McKern than. Patrick McGowan or the other string bean who was number two in the first in the last episode both of them George Baker and the first string bean were slender Mm -hmm. dudes who could get into and out of one of those chairs pretty easily like I would not have any dignity getting out of that chair I'd have to roll out of that chair but basically this is this this for me what's so interesting about this episode starts around here because they are talking about Nadia and about the potential interrogation techniques and what's going to happen to her as though number six as a confidant of number two yes and number six is kind of playing along and this is the beginning of the blurring of the line which is frankly blurred quite openly 
when number six says to number two, you know, are are you a you're as much a prisoner here as I am? And number two is like, yeah, we're all the same. Everything's the same. There, it's almost as though there's so much like there's a kind of a love affair developing here, and and also there's an element of number six auditioning for the role of the toady that is constantly hanging around Leo McKern in this episode. He's got a little assistant. He's credited as the, the number two's assistant. I don't see his number on his uh, on his badge, but I just yeah, call I him don't know num- if he I don't num- know if he num- has number a toady. number. I call him number toady. <laughs> number toady. Yeah, and he's played he's by always, Christopher Benjamin. Who, by the way, played an equivalent character named Potter in Danger Man, the Patrick McGowan spy show that some people believe was a prequel to this show. Patrick McGowan says he's not playing he the same not. character. But I think Patrick McGowan just has some of that rumple. He's like, no, I'm not playing the same <laughs> character. I can't be defined by you. I am a free man. And he's not the only character in this episode playing a, a playing a riff on their Danger Man character, right. uh, as again we'll see later. There's so many th- so many things coming up, but I think you're right that this these scenes number two and number six are playing a more subtle game than they usually do, where number six is playing along with number two as a way of kind of poking fun with him, but also kind of trying the role on for size. And the way that they're treating number eight is very similar to the way number six feels like he's being treated. They're right. they're both they're both spying on her very they're watching her like getting ready for bed, basically, or waking up. I can't remember. She's exactly. waking up and she wakes up for the first time in the village in a replica of her own bedroom. Yes. As Patrick which, McGowan did in in a Oh did he? Yes, and then they gave oh. him his number six house. He woke up in it because that's in the you'll note in the opening credits he wakes up in his house and it's the and then he opens the door of the window. I think it's the window. And he looks outside that, and you see the village. I forgot, goes, the bum, sound, bum, I forgot that the bum, soundtrack of the show bum. was performed largely by a cat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Why did we even get Paul F. Tompkins to sing the theme song? You're right. You're right. But, uh, and uh, and here, uh, it's really blurring the lines between the two of them, not only in that number six is acting like number two. He thinks he's above it, but he's spying on number eight just as much as number two is. But also that when number two is like, yeah, I'm a prisoner here too. It's almost the, the, the conversation every teenager needs to get from an adult at some point where it's like, yeah, we're all unhappy. Get out of your head. Like, <laughs> we're all dealing with stuff. This is like, you're not the only one. You're not the hero of the story. You're not the only one with issues right now. You know, deal with it. But they... Uh, to make a long story short, uh, number six kind of so the, uh, number two tells number six to do word, woodworking for the arts competition. That's uh, right. And number and, six uh, says, but, "I'll make you a handle for this door." Yeah. <laughs> He's trying to get out of the door. It has got no handle. He's really funny. And uh, it's and number really two at this point in this episode, he is, he's laughing at number six in a way that means I'm mad at you, but I'm I'm laughing. I'm laughing to show you how mad I am. Uh, and number six kind of fills number eight in a little bit, but he's real hostile. He's a real jerk. Again, being a real Catrick McGowan. And she says, uh, I resigned too, and I ended up here. And he already suspects her of working for number two. And she right. tells her, I'm not I'm not a number. My name's Nadia. My name's Nadia. It's the next day where there's a conversation where number, that we think we mentioned before, where number two minute, tells minute, number wait, six. Wait, wait. Yeah. You, really, you really rush through this profoundly cold and unromantic <laughs> it's a very exchange. long time. <laughs> Between, between Nadia and number six, but I, 
and, and, and it's only to be rivaled by an equal, a, a much more cold and unromantic exchange later. But this is the one where the, he's in there in his apartment and he offers her non-alcoholic whiskey, yes. which costs 27 work credits or whatever, or non-alcoholic vodka, which costs only 15 work units. And he says, I hope that doesn't offend you because he pre- presumes she's Russian. Mm-hmm. And we'll only drink the non. That's all. That's all I want to say about that. Oh yeah, he's he's being a real jerk to her, and uh, the it's the next days when he have number two, number six have that conversation about number two, saying like, "There's no sides. The whole world's going to become the village someday. Well, It'll all be like this." The next the day, this happens. But remember the context in which in which it happens. Nadia is, is sunbathing on their crummy little beach. Mm-hmm. And Patrick McGowan is up having which I'll, a, which I'll remind you is a real English resort beach. So that's just yeah, kind no, of the, or just, Welsh just, or Welsh just, resort beach. That's what they've got. Typical crummy little beach. Don't send me letters. <laughs> Can't be worse than Maine. And Patrick McGowan's up <laughs> ogling her, drinking his his three sugar tea, and then yeah. McKern joins him, and they both ogle her for a while. And once again, they're constantly staring at her together. And now there's a love triangle that that is playing out throughout this entire thing because Patrick McGowan and Leo McKern are clearly in love, and uh, and Leo McKern is trying to get Patrick McGowan to fall in love with Nadia so that she'll lead him down this primrose path. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the primrose path yeah. leads to that stupid garden full of statue heads. There's like the real subtle form of surveillance they have. These statue heads that move around with their <laughs> light up eyes. Turn to watch you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this is when uh, number eight, Nadia, she goes for a swim at the beach. She's a former Olympic medalist. So she can, oh, right. she, in swimming, she's, she's a great swimmer. But who goes after her? Rover and Triple Rover brings her back. This is this is uh, this is Jordan's famous uh, thruple bubble <laughs> Thruple moment. bubble. Do you ever see that at, at any other time in the show? I think you do. I believe you do see the the triple bubble again at some point, but I can't they remember. They clearly had to rig that up in order to hide the mechanism that was dragging her back to the beach. It's possible. Yeah. I don't believe I, I in my head canon rover is only one ball. Well, in here so in this it's kind of implied that the one ball splits off these two minis, but they don't really have the the effects for that. So it's kind wanna, of I don't want I don't need you to retcon this for me. In my head canon okay. one ball. So, so it's one ball, and then I the want other George two Lucas are... to go back in and fix the special effects. <laughs> Finally, erase those. Yeah, uh, I don't like those those little those little those little rovers. I don't like them at all. They're gross. In my recollection of this show, which is none because I had never watched it before, it I thought that the the rovers like enveloped them and would pull her right. back to shore. So it was really comical for me to see this this ruffle bubble drag her unconscious body. Well, I think back to so shore. Ro- Rover usually envelops people and kills them. Like okay. that's how it murders them. Gotcha. And, and you see their face that's pressing not through the. True. the that's of the not bubble. always true. When do they bring? When do they envelope them? He got. And not he kill got them? enveloped. Uh, number six got enveloped in the first episode, and he didn't. And he woke up in the hospital. Oh, I think that was just Rover not finishing his job. <laughs> Rover <laughs> was slacking. I think Rover tried. I think, but here's my here's my out here's my here's my apologist explanation for that is I think Rover was killing him as programmed, and they called it off. That they turned they shut it off because they didn't want Number Six killed. You know. Mm. But right. anyway, I'm just making stuff up now. Anyway, look, we're allowed to do it. It's the prisoner. It's an old show. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe they should have been clear. Anyway, suddenly we're in the hospital again. Mm-hmm. Another post Rover hospital stay but this time the patient is nadia standing in a room with an electric electrified floor and a bowl of water yes and and she's being interrogated by the controller that bald dude in the seesaw room 
Mm-hmm. And Leo McKern has once again enlisted number six to surveil her, which he does. Yeah. And so and number six, I think, is if I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, he's doing this because he thinks it's all a plot anyway. And he wants to find how he's going to trip up number eight. You have he's so many excuses for rovers and numbers. Like, <laughs> it's well, gross. Think, but he's, he's also choose. being gross. But he's also being I think. I think there's also he has a, I think he does have a gross aspect of him. And that's coming out, too. I mean, it's complicated because it's two guys staring through, a you know, a, a one-way mirror at a woman in peril, mm-hmm. and there there is there's a lot of male gaze. But aside from that, he is. This is a game of chess, and she is a she is a piece oh, in yeah. this game of chess between him and number two, and he doesn't know. He's having a hard time evaluating whether she is a piece that he can use, or whether she is merely a pawn of. Uh, Leo McKern but at no point unlike the previous the previous woman who came to the island uh, who helped him to quote unquote escape who by the way is credited in that episode as the woman (laughs) he is never tricked he he never lets down his guard with uh, with Nadia aka number eight well it's another it's another reason to think that this is a a later episode because he by this point he's like He's much more jaded and cynical about it. Trap me once, shame on you. Trap me at least four more times, shame on me. So I'm going to... But this is the scene that I think turns around a little bit. So you said there's an electric floor and she's got a bowl of water. And they've set it up as a test for her where she can flick water on the floor to see how long the time is between electric shocks. Which And and number two goes, ah, she's doing it. She's counting it. She's going to use this to escape. But instead... She figures out when the floor is going to be shocked so that she can run out into the floor and demand that they kill her, that they electrocute her and kill her. Right. And it's one of those things where, again, number six is never sure how much of this is being put on for his um, for his benefit. But there's a cha- shift in his feelings a little bit about her then. And I think part of it is that right. she is willing to escape even more intensely than he is, if it's the truth. Oh, I see what you're saying. And there is a lot of speculation among both him and number two about— when she goes for that swim and gets caught by Rover, was she trying to escape or was she trying to drown? Yes, exactly. That's okay. I had not, I had not caught that insight, and that's a good one, I think, because you're right. Because he, it does motivate him to say, "Okay, okay, okay, I will do some woodworking in your art show as long as you <laughs> give her to me, yeah, as my personal companion friend, or I don't know exactly." Let her out of the interrogation at least, and then she and he are kind of pair bonded for a while. And I think she's that's kind the of real thing. Is, let let us be neighbors. Let us be close neighbors, uh, and I'll and I'll enter this art contest and do the woodworking that will please you so much. I think that it's an interesting insight because I was beginning to feel by this moment where he's basically agreeing to be in the woodworking competition to quote unquote set her free. That he's just trying to co-opt her as a pawn. And he's become so cynical and so jaded that I made a note to myself wondering, it's like, maybe number two has already won by this point. Maybe the game is over if if Patrick McGowan is this this enmeshed in the game of the village. I mean, it's but possible. I can, but I, yeah. But in any case, this is the moment that they take the path up to the statue garden to do some woodworking. And McKern yes. is openly encouraging them through innuendo to be like, oh, going to the woods, eh? Naughty, naughty. It's like, no, I'm going to make, uh, uh, I'm going to make abstract art with a Flintstone axe that I fashioned. (laughs) 
And so he has he has made for himself some caveman tools, and we then get a very long sequence, surprisingly long, of him chopping down a tree, well, stock footage of a tree be- falling down after having it chopped down, and then him carving up this tree uh, into a shape that is clearly a boat, but that he is presenting as abstract art. And my, I remember my, my wife watched this episode with me, and she goes, that doesn't really seem to be the shape that the tree was. Like, the thing that he's made is so, that he's carved so out much of the tree wider. trunk is so yeah. much wider than the tree trunk was. Yeah. Now look, it's really ridiculous. I, I, I have had some experience uh, with, uh, with some axes of late and some wood splitting, as I have also had some experience with sailing. And this show does no favors to either of those when it comes to realistic representation. If you were hitting that tree with that dull rock at the end of a stick, he, he cuts that thing down in in 17 seconds and strips it of its bark in a number of three. And when he's knocking it down, when he's when you see him hitting it, the tree is about the diameter of a baby's arm. And then... <laughs> And then when they cut to the tree falling, it's like a, a it's like a it's a red of redwood. <laughs> yeah. Then he carves into a flat bottom skiff. I think tops you could swing a, uh, an axe or you know a sharpened tool uh, at a tree with a blazer and a turtleneck on for like three swings max. I don't know. Yeah. The rest of the episode he has like flop sweat all over his forehead, and I think that's really and with the combination of the boiled eggs and the, and the whole milk. This guy, oh, yeah, he's not long. He's for pushing the it. Yeah, he's he's pushing what he, what his body is capable of. And this, but I think something to keep in mind is we this could be taking place over the course of weeks because. They, they, at the True. beginning of the episode, they say the arts competition is in six weeks. So it's possible he didn't do it all in one day, even though the, the show makes it look like, because he never changes his clothes, the show makes it look like he did it in an afternoon. <laughs> yeah, but his plan is clear. He's going to make this obvious boat, a boat that anyone would see as a boat <laughs> immediately upon seeing it. And he and Nadia, a.k.a. number eight, are going to escape together because it is revealed through this conversation that they have, I think it's the patio outside his house where... They're yes. masking their conversation with the with the radio, and, and they're kind of cover. They're kind of huddling, cuddling in a way that looks like they're being romantic, but they're covering their mouths. So right, that and they're they secretly can, they talking about their plan to float away on this obvious boat and mm-hmm. get to Poland, where they'll be smuggled away to, well, to cause safety. Because she, she says, "I saw, I saw where the village is. It's in Lithuania." So we can right. get to Poland. I've got contacts there, and then we'll get we'll get to England. She goes, "I want to hear the chimes of Big Ben." Like that's no, uh, oh no, she says no. the chimes of Big Bill. She says, "I want to hear the chimes, I of, hear Big the chimes Bill. of Big Bill." And he goes, uh, "It's Big Ben." Yeah. Uh, and that and that's a little yeah, foreshadowing. Says, he, that, that he says, "Thank of, you for giving me the gift of letting me explain to you something." It's Big Ben. <laughs> and I got to say something about. Let's talk for one second about Patrick McGowan's acting in this episode. It is mm-hmm. weird. He is a weird actor in this episode. He is very different than he was in the previous episode. He's yes. biting. He's mean. He sometimes will like put periods and sentences where they don't belong. Like, let's talk about his acting. Like, oh, and I love it. His, you know, the funniest thing to me was Leo McKern is number two, watching them, not being able to hear them, presumably, although why not? But, you know, not being able to hear them and saying, ah, the language of love and his imitation <laughs> his of seduction is... <laughs> yeah. and his facial movements are so, so off-putting and weird and strange. Now there's, I, there's, a, I, I there's IMDb trivia about this that I don't know if it's true or not, that 
Patrick McGowan, uh, according to IMDb, they're saying that he was so religious that he would not do romance scenes with women. And so in this scene... Maybe he just doesn't the, know what romance is. Maybe. Well, in this scene, the stand-in for Nadia is his daughter because he figured... I can't get too romantic if my daughter's playing the part. But that seems strange to me. That I would have to see worse. something. Yeah. I want some confirmation other than IMDb trivia from that because it seems like it doesn't make sense. But... He seems profoundly uncomfortable. Yes. I think it's true that in Danger Man, the preceding series in which he played a, a secret agent named John Drake, a completely different character from The Prisoner, <laughs> didn't it, did not have the same, you know, it was based on the James Bond, you know, trend. But it, there was none of the Mm, sexuality of, the, of yeah, James none Bond. of the womanizing and seduction and the the idea yeah. that he was that part of being a spy was to constantly be, that, that half the work was with a gun and half the work was with your penis in Danger yeah. Man it was all with a gun and sometimes a karate chop sometimes your hands I I mean he he looks as awkward in this as an android or maybe you know what maybe five cats in a human skin suit Maybe five cats piled up uh, in a trench coat that's what it, <laughs> that's how smooth he is in his moves. <laughs> Yeah, discussing this. That's why I was so confused toward the end when Nadia uh, is asking him if he's engaged and if he has a girlfriend or what are we? Because I didn't really, maybe I wasn't paying enough attention, but I didn't really get that they had any chemistry uh, at all. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's right. it's almost like it's almost like, and I wonder if this is. I mean, she's as we as we find out later, she's playing she's playing a game with him. So maybe she's like really pushing. She wants to be a honeypot, and he is not. He is not the bear that's going to go into this honey, but she's she's trying really hard to to make it work. She's but trying there's to also, flirt with him like a normal human being. Yes, which he is not. And right. there's something. If I was being, I I to be honest, I love how weird. As I was saying, Patrick McGowan is in. The, I love Me how too. weird number six is. But I wonder. I, it's, I think these choices of, are all amazing. I'm not. I'm yes. not saying he's doing a bad job acting. I'm just saying it's like it's a wild, uncomfortable, dissonant feeling to see him. Yes, act this and way. It, I love and it. It's almost it's almost like Nadia is trying is trying to interact with him, flirt with him the way you would a normal person. But he is someone who, and normal is not a word I should use, but you know what I mean. A, a, a character in a spy movie is who is usually more open to romance. But it's like number six is so twisted by his own past and vision of the world and his life as someone who can never trust anybody that it feels like he cannot. He's just he doesn't even know how to make himself romantically vulnerable or even in the point of being a seducer and being the aggressive one it's just so it, it all it's also alien to him well and know? this is i think kind of the magic of this episode to me aside from leo mckern leo mckerning all over the place but you know we start out with this conversation with leo mckern and uh number toady and leo and number toady says don't worry we'll we'll break him meaning we'll break we'll get patrick McGowan to confess why he resigned Mm-hmm. And Leo McKern says, I don't want a man of fragments. But number six is now a man in fragments. He has fully adopted the village way of life. He is always saying, be seeing you. Mm-hmm. The only thing that he's holding on to is that he won't say why he resigned. And I feel like at this point, he's become what he hates. And I think he's broken. He's a broken human. He, can't, there, he couldn't. It's not just because, uh, <laughs> not just because Patrick McGoohan, the actor, had problems with uh, uh, intimacy on set Mm -hmm. the character is just a broken man even he feels like there's no way that i'm gonna win when he obviously he doesn't win we can talk about how he doesn't win but when he doesn't win there isn't like oh no it's more like yeah i had a feeling like 
Well, I, had a I feeling think this is not going to work. I don't know that he's. I, he, I think he's he's more resigned than he was. But I don't. I don't know that he's fully broken. But I think you got it, your your finger on the right thing that it, like the other number twos are like you'll give us the information or we'll crush you. And one of the things that makes Leo McKern different is Leo McKern's like I want you on our team. Like it's not just right. that I want you to give up the information. I want you to be with me. I want you to be working with me he, and to be a part of this village. He's in love. He's in love with them. They're in love with yeah. each other. I mean, I think that there's a real temptation. I sense a real temptation in the in number six's mien that he could easily just say, "Yeah, okay, fine. I can I can do this. I could do this. This is kind of fun." That's what I'm getting out of this episode. Yeah, yeah. Is that it's it's sort of like he's resisting the temptation to just go along because when Leo McKern sits down and says, you know. Uh, I'm also a prisoner here. You understand that? And and number six is like, well, which side runs this place? He goes, there there are no sides anymore. I mean, uh, one side is the other becoming they're becoming identical, and this is what the future is going to be. And you should be a part of it. And you know what he's saying is, stay here and live here with me forever. This is a good thing. And you kind of sense that McGuin hears that. It's hard for him appropriately. It's the whole theme of the show, right? Is that this could be? This is just establishment it doesn't there's no good guy or bad guy there's no good government or bad government this is just the desire to dominate other humans right well a little bit a little bit that and also that it is very easy to be a part of a community and give up a part of yourself that is the part the one aspect of yourself the community is saying we don't want that but we want the rest of you and that that struggle that patrick McGowan has or that number six has in this episode is is it worth giving up that part of myself to live in this place, which I could be happy here, it, I would have no freedom. I'd be, I'd do whatever they want, but I'd have everything otherwise that I asked for. But it would mean losing that part of myself. And there's that what you were saying put an idea in my head that I hadn't had before of like the what was number what was this number two's past? Was he number six once before? Was he taken there? Did he did he push back and then ultimately right. give in? And is he saying number six? Like to, if if the two of them could get away from the surveillance, he might say to him, "Look, I was you. I went through. It's that same teenager and adult talk in, in a certain right. sense. I was through. I went. I was you. I went through this. It's not worth fighting it. Like just be here. We can be outside of the game. We're just. We're just. You know. We have to. And we can be in control of this little place, or we can be in positions of authority in this little place. You know. It's a that there's a kind of. Um, uh, if I'm, this is reading very deeply into number two, but like a fear of the outside world that is the opposite of number six's fear of never making it to the outside world. The right. Number two is like the village is where I feel safe. I know you don't feel safe yeah. here, but I feel right. safe here. You know. Yeah, and he to him, it, like he has this whole philosophy of like the village represents the future of mankind, and that's yeah. chill, chilling and interesting. But it's basically like I I like this place. Yeah, and you should <laughs> and is... you should like it too. You know, don't you like cordless phones? Hmm? I mean, don't you like cool. arts competitions? It's pretty cool. All right, let's talk about this. Speaking of, let's get to the arts competition. It's it's the day of the arts fair. I've never Every... seen as ham fisted a commentary <laughs> on modern art since <laughs> Al Cap. <laughs> Every entry in the competition is a, is a depiction of number two in some I way, love that so except much. for except for Patrick McGowan's. And they ask and they go and our judges like they're all old British people. This is very interesting. Tell me about it. What does it mean? It means what it is. Ooh, we like that. And it's called freedom. It's clearly a boat. Like it's they're, they, but they're just there. And and it's one of those things where watching the show, you're like these judges, like they're so. I think I think you're supposed to feel at first that. 
number six is really getting one over on them. But clearly, it feels like afterwards, they're playing this game with number six, where they are pretending to not understand what he's trying to do. And he thinks he's pulling the wool over the wall, eyes of these these fools. But they the whole time, they're probably right. laughing behind their hands at him like, he made a boat. Does he not think we can see that it's a boat that he brought I'm trying the to the figure out. I'm trying to figure out, like, first of all, there's a whole conversation that I don't think we have time for today. So let's remember to come back to it next About time. About where babies is, come from? Yeah, exactly. Rovers. A, a triple thruple. That's where do rover babies come from? But the other thing is, like, we got to talk about all these walk-on villagers. What's their story? Where they came from? Because part of the game is how many of them are pawns of the village? How many of them are in employed by the village? And how many of them are prisoners? And mm-hmm. are they prisoners like like McKern? Do you do you presume that they are prisoners who were not? who did not give up their secrets and then they were just they their minds were destroyed in one of those weird long rooms where they sit with their toes exposed in the hospital or whatever like i think i think that part of what is so insidious about this experience for mcguin is he doesn't know if these are fellow prisoners or if these are uh, guards do you know what yeah. i mean it's a prison ultimately, where, the, where the guards and the prisoners all look the same and are sometimes right. the same person and he can't he it's literally he can't trust anyone he just which is also knows. you know breaking down all of those rigid dichotomies that number two is talking about it's like the differences are meaningless we're all here like that's mm-hmm. all that matters but yeah the, my favorite part is there so but then the, the i do have to ask and and maybe jordan you can shed some light on this do you because you just saw this for the first time and I've seen it 95 times or whatever. I can't remember. Do you think the audience was supposed to be surprised to learn that it was a boat? (laughs) (laughs) Do you think in the writer's mind, the writer of this episode is someone named Vincent Tisley. The only thing I could find out about him was that he worked for the force. He wrote for the foresight saga and he was born on my birthday, June 3rd, but I'll tell you one more thing about him was that he, he had written a, I think a mini series or a TV movie and it got cut way down and it made him in the seventies and it made it so mad that he left writing and became a psychotherapist. All right. Do you think that this person, which is a very number six move, you're going to cut my material. Then I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. (laughs) Nothing shall be written again by me. Watch how culture crumbles. (laughs) Take this job and shove it. Shove it. (laughs) He sometimes yells at the enemy. Sometimes it becomes a question. question. (laughs) Take this job and shove it. (laughs) Do you think that in his mind, in his, in his brilliant little mind, Vincent Tisley believed that the audience was going to buy that they was going to be surprised. They thought they was just making shapes (laughs) <laughs> I mean, this is this is clearly a boat. It looks it looks like a boat. Um, it couldn't look any more like a boat if it had SS prisoner written on the side of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and you know the committee, they're like, this is so interesting. What's the backstory? And he's like, so the boat part of this boat is it represents <laughs> you know escape, and then the, these stick like sail things are represent you know the other part of the boat. Um, but I think that <laughs> I feel that they're I feel that everyone's in on it, including the. Um, the woman whose number I, I don't recall, but the woman who won the over 60 uh, uh, prize. 38. Number 38. Number 38, yeah. because her tapestry, uh, which wins that prize, becomes a part of this boat. So I feel like everyone up to and including this woman are, 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 are guards. I think yeah. that the I think the audience is not supposed to know it's a 
boat, but oh, they, they are supposed to know it's a boat, but they're not supposed to know he's going to use the tapestry as a sail when he offers. Well, to when buy he it. buy, like I think it's actually a pretty elegant payoff that everything there has number two's face on it. That the, the one of the critics says the the thing I really don't understand is where is number two in your art piece? <laughs> <laughs> and then he and then he and, wins. And, and I think there is a number two chess set. That's one of the things where all the yeah. pieces are number two. No, the general, which is amazing. not the yeah. admiral. By the way, the admiral was last episode. This is the general. <laughs> The general makes a chess set as he promises to do, and he's and he and the king is number two. But oh, then, that's right. It's not all the pieces. Just but the I thought it was very elegant. They set up this whole. First of all, I want to know where all those number two paintings are now. Oh, like, yeah. That would Tell be. They've got it. Those. We got to find a trip. If you well, hey, knowing, hey, knowing the BBC, knowing the BBC, I think was this a BBC or an ITV show? Now I can't remember. It it, an knowing ITV it was ITV, so but knowing Whatever, the way knowing that, the, British know, television, they probably burned yes, it all. Yes, the they they <laughs> they put it on the the pile that said Dudley Moore Peter Cook shows only known copy, and they just set it on fire. So right. th- that's the way they handle their material in, in England. Ugh, hey, hey, uh, be potting you listener. I know you're out there, single person listening to this. If you have any idea, or your friends have any idea, where any of this. Leo McKern art is even if it's just for sale somewhere on the internet please let us know but I thought it was very elegant the way this was paid off very well and directed well where he's like he wins the prize it's 15,000 work units or whatever and he's like I'm immediately going to buy this tapestry because when they give 38 the prize for tapestry you're like let me see the tapestry (laughs) but they hold it back and Patrick McGoohan, mm-hmm. number six, goes, I'll buy that tapestry. And then they swing pan around, and it's a big tapestry of number two. And he's going to escape with a sail with number two's face on it. I think that's kind of beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I mean, really like the lot also. It's so it's so clever that, that you almost forgive the fact that you, Patrick McGoohan would have to be really stupid <laughs> to believe he was putting anything <laughs> over on number two at this point. I mean, he made a boat and he bought a sail. Now look, I spend some time in Maine, and this is a boat a boat building community, particularly a wooden boat building community. So I can tell you, with with some authority uh, of observation and some practice, it's very very easy to make a boat out of a single tree. <laughs> Happens all <laughs> the time. I mean, they they make canoes out of them, right? Well, they do make canoes out of them, but but you know, canoes are formed out of a tree trunk, and then they're tapered at the bottom. You know, mm-hmm. following following the lines of the tree, right? Um, to make them aqua dynamic, the equivalent of aerodynamic. Do you know what I mean? Yes. They, but but what I'm Patrick McGoohan, I know what you mean. For but the what number six has done has just made a flat bottom boat, which is not aqua dynamic at all. It's very easy to make that out of one tree. <laughs> But it does give me the opportunity and to say absolute- flat bottom boats, you make the prisoner's world go round. <laughs> oh, you gonna take me to Lithuania tonight. So this has been oh, like I was gonna that because, but I thought it would be too immature to do. <laughs> I oh, wish Jordan's you had self control is your enemy. <laughs> Jordan, I wish you had sung it because if you had sung it, it would have been wonderful and charming. And I would not have canceled this podcast. But unfortunately, Unfortunately, uh, I just receiving it. word from Maximum Fun Network that uh, we have been canceled mid-recording. That's fair. I have and, a question uh, about technology. Um, 
because Elliot, you mentioned uh, they take the boat out at night. And John, you mentioned earlier that they have these statues that that have like cameras in them and they can see, but they can't hear. I'm confused about the technology because it seems like that. I don't know if maybe like we didn't get like graveyard shift until the 1970s, but it seems like they would have someone working like at night to see them taking the boat out. You would, you would yeah. think so. And it, it really should, number six should fi- find it a little too easy yeah. that they got out. Yeah. But I wonder if, I wonder if you know, maybe there's some way they felt that, like, if they hugged the, the coast for far enough, then they'd get outside of the sensors or something. But you're right. They, they, I think they, the, there's the, probably people watching them the whole time. The fact that the statues are watching with light-up eyes and they turn their heads is hilarious enough that, they, that, that number six then says, don't worry, they can't hear us. <laughs> Is double hilarious? Like, why not? Why, why, why? You've already put the cameras in there. Put the microphones in the in the ears of the statues or something. You know, make those light up too. It's all well, part but, of a mind game of not knowing when you're being. And here's what I think happened, honestly, Jordan, because this is based on my my experience and expertise in in uh, in boat building and boat yeah, sailing. the maritime trade. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think what happened was control the bald guy who stand by the seesaw. Mm-hmm. Like he he gets on his uh, his interphone. What is what is the model again? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the model is the the model VL two ninety. Yeah, he gets on his VL two ninety. Maybe he's got a VL uh, two eighty nine because he hasn't been updated yet. But the point is, he gets on his phone. He's like, um, yeah, give me number uh, seventy three. Yes, that's right, the sailboat expert. Uh, take a look at your view screen. Is this thing gonna work? Yes, that's right. It's a flat bottom boat with no keel <laughs> being held together by a tarp. And by the way, it's a square rig. So it can only go forward when the wind is blowing directly behind it. Yeah, I'll sing the song. Flat bottom boat, <laughs> no, they make no, I the don't want you prisoners to sing the world song. go round. Just let me let me know. Can you can you sail a, a square rig flat bottom boat held together by a tarp? held together by a tarp with no keel to keep it upright in the wind and can only sail downwind. Uh, Can you make it to Poland? It's like, no, he's going to drown. I was like, okay, we'll just let him go then. (laughs) Well, so you're saying the next day when, when it's orange alert time and they send Rover after them, they are trying to save them from what would otherwise be a horrible seaside accident. If my wife who's a whole human being in her own right had watched this show and trust me, we went to high school together I was a high school boy. I definitely tried to get her to watch this show. I learned my lesson. <laughs> learned my lesson early. But if she were to watch this show now, the TV would be destroyed. Because you the you should have seen the way she reacted to the sailing scene in uh, in the movie Wonder Woman, where Chris Pine and Gal Gadot oh, get on they a go sailboat. <laughs> yeah, they go to sleep on a sailboat. <laughs> They're like, okay, I guess we are now headed to England. Uh, there are no rocks and the wind will never change. So let's both go to sleep. <laughs> Do you know how bad that's, that tapestry, that number two tapestry was luffing? There's no wind in it at all. They're holding the bottom. I just made me so mad. I totally get it. I totally get it. Uh, so let's move, let's move past that scene you since it's clearly it. enraging you. you. you I mean, I don't, I, I, get, I get the idea of getting it. You don't uh, even know what luffing <laughs> means. No, I, 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 does it have anything to do with um, with uh, laughing? It's flapping. It's flapping. It's flapping oh. in the wind. So it is like laughing. <laughs> Moving along. Orange alert. So, Rover is orange, called out. Uh, Rover comes out, uh, but he takes gets a, takes a few bullets. Yeah, gets sniped by uh, by Nadia's contact and retreats. 
which we've never seen Rover do in in the in the heat of battle before. Right. Uh, and uh, they they get picked up by uh, by Nadia's Polish comment con- uh, contact. Uh, this is this is uh, played by the actor David Arlen, who's a British actor who did not know Russian and had to learn Russian for the part. Or Polish. And according to IMDb. Well, according to IMDb, he te- but he speaks to uh, he speaks to Nadia in Russian. Uh, mm. Even though, so even though she says she's Estonian and she says he's Polish, they speak that she has a Russian accent and they speak Russian. And uh, right. but according to IMDb, he showed up and his accent was terrible, and she had to teach him how to do it. So which I <laughs> which I would fully believe. It's a lot to for this small a part. It's a lot to ask somebody to get to learn a flawless uh, accent. But uh, Six says, "Give here's a coded message. Take this, transmit it to London, and you know what? I want to trade watches him with you to deliver this to <laughs> London immediately." So he, and he he talks like people talk when they're speaking with someone who doesn't speak English, where they talk loudly right. and slowly, but it's the way he talks to everybody, so it doesn't seem quite, quite as strange. It's the way strange. cats in their heads talk to owners. Get yeah. me some food. <laughs> Idiot. You you glossed over my favorite part of this scene, but aside, they're going to get, the whole plan is they're going to get in a crate and be mailed to London. Yeah. But also... It's the it's the it's the old normal trick. He's like, "Give me your watch." He goes, "My watch has been waterlogged. Now, Give me your watch. I want big, your watch." This is a big game of chess, obviously, and there are a lot of feints and counterfeints and sacrifices and false plays. And both number two and number six are playing a complicated game. I think you have to argue that number six did not win the game of chess until you realize that the game he was playing was a long con to get a free watch. <laughs> yep. And mission yeah. accomplished because he a, got that watch. All got right. Got a brand new watch out of it. It's the second episode in a row in which he gets a free watch by the end <laughs> because I happened to rewatch the end of episode one to see what happened to George Baker, the previous number two and number you'll remember in episode one arrival, he gets a watch that helps disarm Rover and, and George mm-hmm. Baker that previous number two goes, I think I'll let him keep the watch. I'm like, this is all it is now. It's just, it's just a watch scheme. <laughs> I wish I wish that by the by later episodes he has an armful of watches. He wears all of them under his sleeve. That would be and the t- greatest. T- he goes, number six, do you have the time? And he just pulls his sleeve all the way to the elbow and looks at his his arm yeah, covered in watches. Yeah, that's the final that's the final uh, final episode, right? Where at the very end he finally goes. The reason I resigned is this, and he holds up two arms full of watches and then just flips <laughs> number two, whoever it is, the bird, and mm-hmm. then he and then he's out. That's the final thing. That was better than my that he would say. I'd always feel like somebody's watching me. Now the and other then nice walks off. <laughs> oh, <gross. laughs> you know, I was about to apologize for talking over you, but I knew. I guess I did it instinctively. <laughs> no, no, that was that was the, the the universe was trying was was using you to try to stop me. Yeah. The other nice thing about this crate that they're going to go in is that it has two separate compartments. Yes, it's a special Why? double compartment. It's because they're not married. This is this, <laughs> this is an honor crate and a chastity crate. Uh, it has two separate compartments, and they are they are very clearly on a set on a in a crate with no with no fourth wall front. But they're right. pretending that they're in a crate, and we're looking into it. Uh, right. And it's a it's this is a this is a series of scenes that like could have fit in in they were done a little bit differently could have fit into like a 40s screwball comedy where it's like a a husband and wife or somebody or two spies are falling in love like like this or in a crate and they're just kind of bantering through the wall except that patrick McGowan does not want to banter with her big ben yeah where are we going to land in england i don't know if my message was received correctly 
landed an office that I should know very well in London. Big Ben? Uh, Are you engaged to someone? Oh, I mean, is that the right word? An, an engaged? Go to sleep. She keeps no. trying to ask him, are you married? Are you engaged? What's London like? And he's like, I'm so tired. Let me sleep. <laughs> yeah, he just goes, this be is... quiet. And he pulls the blanket over his head. <laughs> you know, now, like they've been they married all... for 40 years. Yeah. They also show a lot of footage of this crate being loaded onto ships and then being on a truck and being traveling through the countryside on its way first. I think it was to to Denmark and then flying to England. And it's all bogus because, of course, we're going to learn that it didn't go anywhere. This is a little sleight of hand in the filmmaking. I'm yes. sorry well, to spoil th- this, but they don't. The crate does not go to London. The crate no, goes, it do- <laughs> goes in a big circle with people pretending that it's being people lifting it up and jostling it around to make them feel like they're <laughs> on a boat or a plane well, or whatever. I think they are being put onto actual boats and planes because they no, know number no. six is suspicious, but they're just taking them in a circle. You know, they're just tra- uh, it's just a, the, okay. the same that you would blindfold somebody and you're like, yeah, I'll take you to my treasure, but I'm going to blindfold you and then you just walk their horse in circles through the desert until you go back to where you started. Yeah, here's where my treasure is but you don't know where it is i think that they, they did, are they did hire some two some pretty good cockney actors to play bumbling <laughs> workmen to jostle them all around Just, at the end and, and, well, and that's the funny thing is that they're doing this to trick the audience they're doing this to trick number six there is no reason to so openly bump the crate around except that they're like you know what number six has been kind of a dick to everybody at the village let's let's shake him let's give him a couple extra bumps while we're moving him. and there's no like packing peanuts or bubble wrap no. inside of that crate they're like no. jostling around like a wooden roller coaster i was, I was yeah. really concerned for them. Yeah. Two, two other things that aren't there water and food <laughs> yeah, that's true. No and boiled you know, eggs. No, maybe no. if he had packed some of those boiled eggs, he'd be all right. That's he doesn't right. even have a pocket full of they milk double that he can po- drink. As packing peanuts. Sorry. Yeah, and and you know they're peeing and pooping all over themselves. It's disgusting. Those those crates are gonna are gonna smell terrible by the time they're out, and they're gonna be so tired and hungry. But anyway, they finally get out. The crate arrives in London at the HQ, and number six's old handlers are there. Uh, and there's a weird. There's a scene here that you could. You might you could cut this character, except that he's kind of like a, a another Danger Man reference. Is the character of Fothering Gay, Fothering played Gay. by Richard Wattis, who was one of these British actors who was in tons and tons of things. He's in uh, he's uh, my favorite of his. He's in the movie Hobson's Choice, the Charles Lawton movie, which is a fantastic movie. And uh, he's but more importantly, he played Hardy, John Drake's superior, in five episodes of Danger Man. And he shows up. He answers the phone. And then he leaves, and he kind of shows up on screen afterwards, but he doesn't really do anything of importance, right? So except for the Danger Man reference, you might as well not even have him there, it seems like. Well, it's interesting because I remember in high school the first time I saw this episode, and I will, and I, it made such an impression on me when number six got out of that crate and said hello to the colonel and then gave, looked very knowingly and said, fathering gay? There, it was with such familiarity that I felt like, uh, oh, this, ha- this has to be the end. They're showing this in the wrong time. Mm-hmm. This is like this has <laughs> to be the one the where episode. he actually escapes or something. Like the sense of familiarity it was so well played. I thought that like that's, that's why you true. have that character there because it does, it does tr- it tricked this audience into thinking, oh maybe I misunderstand because maybe oh, okay. this is a character from the previous show that I didn't watch Danger Man uh, where uh, <laughs> starring uh, Patrick McGoon and John Drake obviously the same character as number six I don't care what Patrick McGoon says but anyway fathering, and, gay, so, and fathering gay they're just, in I there never thought and, uh, never forgot it yeah that, I mean that's a, that's a fair point then it really it does build up the sense of 
this is where he knows these people. This is not, right. oh, yeah, well, we're the new British intelligence people. Tell us all the stuff that happened. This, these are the people he knows, and he knows them well. Right. And uh, right. as well as you can know anyone in the spy game. And uh, Big Ben chimes outside. There's a lot of traffic noise you can hear outside. Uh, it must be a ground floor spy agency office uh, sure. for all the traffic with very thin hear. walls which is good for spycraft <laughs> yeah the same way that there's a, there's a scene in the movie uh triple x the return of xander cage i think it is where uh there's a top secret kind of cia nsa meeting that's taking place in a building with a huge skylight and an and a, an evil an, an enemy spy or evil assassin or something jumps through the skylight and kills everybody and it's like mm, you'd think this this meeting would take place in a room with Fewer windows. I'm going to stick up for the sound of traffic in this and the sound design okay. in this. Because, I mean, we 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 are definitely clued in that the, that the chimes of Big Ben are important. And you hear them. Bing, bong, bing, bong. Bong, bing, bing, bong. Sound just and like that. Nadia is so happy to hear them and he goes, okay, go away. But I'll be honest with you, like, the sound of the traffic fades so quickly into the background that when he discovers the tape that is playing the sound of the traffic... I, even now, having seen it thirty-five to five thousand times, and he, and he cuts that cuts that sound it has an effect for me. It's, I could see that it certainly. It was, it, yeah, I, it was upsetting. I think, yeah, I think a lot of that is the way Patrick McGowan plays it. He plays it super well, where he is. It's right. the most underplaying. I feel like he does with anything. But I guess this is a uh, this scene. It it strikes me. I mean, the first time I saw it when I was a teenager, I remember it really hitting me and. I, it's like a, one of my favorite movies is The Thin Man with William Powell and, and Myrna Loy. Right, and where William Powell plays the thin man. No, he does. It just, no, The Thin Man is Claude Wynan. It's, the man it's, called, the after, it's called The Thin Man. But that's because he's and the searching star for the, the Thin Man. The star no. of the movie is William, well, the co-star of the movie with Myrna Loy. But no, the but only, then the second the movie man. in the series is called After the Thin Man, which is just supposed to mean that it took place after the first Thin Man movie. But then the other movie is all right, the Thin Man. Right, but he's still playing the Thin Man. People think William Powell, but he's not actually playing The Thin Man. People, that's mistaken. Ugh. Anyway, he is a thin man, but he's Zelda, not the thin Zelda man. is the boy. Zelda is the boy. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> anyway, anyway, the uh, it's in the name of the video that... game. You see his picture <laughs> no, on the video no, game. No, Link is, is the, the boy. boy. Zelda is. That's why it's the Legend of Zelda because Link no, 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 is, no, no. This is, a, is going no, after that legend. This no. is a very famous video game. It's the Legend <laughs> well, again, of Zelda. Again, Zelda being the name Starring of the princess Zelda that Link the, is. The boy. Is going I thought his name was Link, Link Zelda. It's he's not. Link Zelda is a great name. I Link actually Zelda like is a, a terrific name, and that might—I mean—that might be. In which case, you just go by his name. last name, like it's Kalen not. No, he goes by his first name, Link. Uh, so anyway, the anyway, in that and movie, the Thin Man played by the Thin the, Man. The Thin Man. The mystery in that movie—it's a murder mystery—is so well done. And but now that I've seen it, every time I watch it with someone else who hasn't seen it before, which I haven't done in a while, but I used to do. Every scene with the person you find at the end is murder. I'm like, oh, they're making it so obvious. How can nobody see this? Even knowing that I didn't see it the first time I watched it, and the person watching it never sees it. So I think that with this episode, it's like, I, since you know the end, since I know the ending going into it, I'm always like, oh, when it just, I know those sounds aren't real. So I'm allowing my right. jaded multiple viewer person to get to ruin the, the show for me, which I shouldn't do. Yeah, but if you haven't uh, seen it, when the when the thin man solves that mystery, it's amazing. Oh God, he does. He's not. That's not who he is. He's not the thin man. Anyway, so Big Ben is chiming, and the colonel is. is I mean, like, it's weird. It's weird how I mean William Powell isn't a isn't a big fella, but it's definitely you know he's the standard of what is thin has changed. No, sure. he's not thin. He's not the thin man. Because I would have movie, called him the nope. dapper man or the drunk man. Do you know what I mean? But they would they should call him at the, drunk the time man, they he called him the thin man. That was his no. Most he drinks well. One he drinks less and less as the series goes on, uh, especially after they have the child in the another thin man. Oh, he must have gotten even but, thinner. Is that why they called? 
Is the Thinner Man later? <laughs> no, no, no. Thinner is a different. Thinner movie. is a sequel to the Thinner no, Man, isn't it? That's that's, that's based on a book by uh, reclusive horror writer Richard Bachman. You don't hear a lot about him these days. Um, mm. But uh, no, the Thin Man is a character in the Thin Man, but it's not that character. Right, he's anyway. a detective who solves all the mysteries. <laughs> so, anyway, so they. So I another... only want this to be the podcast from now on. <laughs> Makes me so happy. Uh, they call Claude Winant a thin man in the movie. Why would anyone think William Powell is the thin wait, man? Wait, 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 Why are we even talking about the thin man? <laughs> I brought it up for another the reason. famous that, detective. That doesn't work. I no. bet he could have gotten out of the village. <laughs> no. I mean, he, he probably would have kind of, he would have noticed that he it was not alcoholic. Way, he would charm his way out. Him. He would charm his way out of the he village. He would charm his way off because, well, because it's William Powell, the most charming man in the world. Okay. Anyway, back to this episode. <laughs> Um, right, back to the episode of The Prisoner, starring Leo so, McKern as the prisoner. He admits it as much. No, nope, he does kind him. of. Yeah, I guess, and they're all prisoners in life in a way. But so the other person that is there that number six recognizes is Colonel Jay, uh, who is starts asking him. He goes, I, he thinks maybe he defected. He thinks, did you become a double agent? And starts right. uh, starts interrogating him. And now Colonel Jay is played by Kevin Stoney. John, what's the most exciting thing about Kevin Stoney? Well, his last name's Stoney, which is cool. That's and pretty were, good. Yeah, and if you were to if you were to use his last name as a as a cool nickname like uh, like Zelda, Link Zelda, like you'd just say, "Hey, Stony," that would be good. That would be cool. That would be cool. I have a friend whose name is Stony, and I, I do like to call him Stony. No, it's not the most exciting thing about him is not that he was a former RAF pilot in World War II. It's not that he appeared in three different Doctor Who serials or two episodes of Blake Seven. It is that he played Thrasillus the astrologer in I Claudius. That's right. Tiberius's roommate, Thrasillus, the hilarious do astrologer. Do you remember how we began this episode with me ba- barely getting up off the floor after I had fallen asleep on the floor? Mm hmm. I'm back on the floor. I fell down on. <laughs> like this is yep. full, some full circle stuff. That's like this episode. This is like the prisoner, where it always ends up with the prisoner is the prisoner at the beginning, and now he's the prisoner again at the end. I'm I'm back on the floor. That's amazing. I knew that I recognized that guy from someplace. Yes, he was. He's one of our favorite characters from I Claudius. For those who listen to iPodies, you'll remember him. For those who haven't, you should go listen to it. Uh, he is Thrasillus uh, Tiberius George Baker's. Kind of- personal Friend. astrologer yeah very different yeah. character and he is the he is the character who amazingly turns out to be a pretty good astrologer like his prophecies tend to come true just not the way that that tiberius wants it but i learned while looking up this which i didn't i don't remember if we mentioned Hypatius, that was actually the second time he played thrasillus in a tv miniseries that he he was in a series wow. called the caesars where he played thrasillus so kevin stoney has a lock on the role of thrasillus a real life person i hear later in his life he was really mad that he was only associated with thrasillus <laughs> yeah he, 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 he would say oh. his other work when I die, they'll, of course, mention me the as known William, to millions as Thrasillus. Yeah, the way William Powell hated the fact that he was only known as the Thin Man. No, I mean, he probably would have frustrated him if he was known as that, because it's not his character. Oh, you, but uh, You have to give me that he was known as the Thin Man. That's true. They did, Eventually, they did call him that. But, uh, so the, but it's, not in the, it's not the Thin Man in the movie, the Thin the Man. The point is, this guy, what's his name, Stoney? Lil Stoney? Kevin, Kevin Stoney. Hey, Kev Stone. Stoney. That's how I'd say his name. Hey, Stoney. Hey. Stoney. Oh, Thrasillus. I have also done other work. I was Colonel Jay. 
In the prisoner. No, now I imagine he's the opposite of Leo McKernan. He's going two, around pitching us. Count them two episodes of Blake seven, <laughs> or was it three? Even I that's can't Blake's, remember. That's fourteen Blakes if you do the math. And uh, I imagine him going around pitching a show that's. It's time for the Thrasillus show. This is the part I was born to play. I love playing it. Time for Thrasillus to spin off, right. be a part of the Claudian cinematic universe, the CCU. You know who and got of course, that, you know who got that role? Mike Berbiglia. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what? I, don't know why and I, I was going to say Kevin Stoney. He was also, of course, he was in, in uh, the show Z Cars or Zed Cars, which everyone in Zed Cars too? was in oh, at some point. Yeah. We got to do Zed Cars at some point. We got I mean, the show was on for like 20 years. I know, but so. they only, I think they, they destroyed all but four episodes. So it's pretty good for us. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you, BBC or, or ITV. You're I'm going to say us. that I'm going to say that Kevin Stoney is a really good actor because he, he was actually intimidating and kernelly in this. Oh yeah, and he was and Thrasillus. It never would have occurred to me. Never. Would. He's when I saw George Baker as the new number two at the end of the last episode. I was like, "That's Tiberius." Mm-hmm. Can't wait to see a lot more of him in this show. <laughs> Oops. But then it turns out here's the <laughs> surprising part: you you think that the prisoner is Tiberius, but it turns out we learn in this episode that it's Leo McKern as number two. Well, the prisoner the is really Thrasillus because he's the one who has to share a hut with Tiberius and get threatened with being thrown off a cliff every now and then. And he lives on the vill- in the village, right? Or he's a, a at least at least we know that for some period of time. Look on our next episode. We're going to skip ahead to the fi- <laughs> to the to the final, the final episode. two episodes. Some people call them two episodes. I call them one episode. <laughs> we're going to skip ahead and <laughs> the cover thin man, if you will, the penultimate episode and then the the last episode. And I'm going to, I wonder whether it's going to solve any mysteries. I have, I have, I've always heard that it only deepens the mysteries and, and, and makes it more frustrating, (laughs) but I am intrigued at this point. If I were to take a stab at solving this mystery, what we've learned from this episode is that absolutely John Drake, AKA number six, AKA the prisoner's best friend and roommate, (laughs) definitely definitely had history with fathering gay and the colonel yes and that his handlers in the in the british government either the british government is part of the elite power structure that controls the village or that the these two members of the british secret service that he served with are themselves double agents or the village maybe is uh, non-aligned i don't know has its own agenda there's no there's there's no way of knowing. What's interesting here is But it is not an enemy it is no longer feasible to say, Oh, this is what would have been most common at the time during the Cold War. This is a Russian operation. This yes. is this yeah. is something else. And what and what this means in a lot and so uh the Colonel Jay starts asking him, Why so why did you resign? And number six is about to say it. About to say when, it when when he when the chimes of Big Ben go, and I'll tell you how and I don't want to forget what I'm gonna say because then we'll get back to the reveal. But right. the after this scene this is when number six realizes there is no safe place for him. He thought if he could only get to England, if he could only get to his old handlers, like you're saying, the village, maybe it's Russian, maybe it's some other country that's doing it. He knows after this scene, no, there's nowhere, there's no one he can trust even in this outside life. He is truly adrift because if he can't trust the people that he thought he knew the best and who knew him the best, and they don't really know him well, or else they might have some inkling as to why he resigned. They, you know, they've shown very little interest in his personal or interior, internal life. Uh, the he knows that really he can't. There's no. There's nowhere he can go that he can 
trust the people that he's known before and can never trust that anyone's not part of the village. Uh, so he goes, the whole, the he has, whole world is the village. The whole world is his prison. In a sense, the whole world is his prison. And at that in point, a, in then, a way, in a way, when the show, they called the show, the prisoner, they might as well be referring to him. Yes. In fact, they are very much. so. <laughs> no, the prisoner is Leo McKern. Cause that, that was revealed in that scene. Oh boy. Gavalt, as my ancestors would say. Uh, so the, in, and in a way this, uh, this reminds me a lot of one of my favorite books is the man who was Thursday by GK Chesterton, which feels a lot right. like the prisoner of the book in a lot of ways, wherein the main character is a spy. And each time he thinks he understands who is on one side, and who's on another, it turns out he is pretty much exactly wrong, and it's the opposite. And by the end, he's coming to wonder, is it that I'm sane and the whole world is mad, or is the world sane and I'm mad? I, he can't, or is it possible that the two things are not inseparable, and that there's a little bit of both in each? You know, And that book gets very right. metaphysical at the end in a way that this series also kind of does in a way. But, but who, was ben, Thurs- who was Thursday? Well, he the is de- Thursday in it. He, he, the, the detective, detective t- takes the role of Thursday, yes. There's a council he, of anarchists for each. Is he thin? It's, it's, I think he is. Yeah. He's the thin Thursday. Okay. And his, his name is Link Zelda thin Thursday. Uh, and, and it ends with him in, in a, in Link a Zelda, bubble. Link Zelda thin Thursday in thruple bubble, <laughs> a new Link Zelda adventure. <laughs> they don't so, write uh, paperback men's adventure novels. Anymore. No, well, I mean, that. They, I, I think that that market has been pretty much eaten up by the largest movies in the world, uh, so they don't they don't kind of need to anymore. <laughs> they, don't, they don't need to do that anymore. All right, that's fine. Yeah, the Goosebump uh, and, titles are getting real crap nowadays. <laughs> have you read a Goosebump lately? Goose, go, Goosebumps number five thousand and seven. Link Zelda in <laughs> the Thin Thruple Bubble. Yeah. Have you, Jordan? Have you seriously read a Goosebump lately? Uh, pr- not probably not since nineteen ninety seven. So no. Oh, the heyday of Goosebumps. Yeah. yeah. That was the golden age of Goosebumps, I've never the GAGB. Read a, I've never read a single Goosebump, but do you know what I learned? R.L. Stein answers his fan mail. For real. Mm, that's really nice. That's really nice. Uh, so, the, so, anyway. the, the, so the chimes, oh, the of, Big chimes ben, of Big Ben. The, the titular chimes of Big Ben, we hear them, and the prisoner, he's he, number six, uh, who I call the prisoner. Some people disagree on who the prisoner is. Number six, he has a moment of real relief, like he, the real, the feeling of I am back home. I hear Big Ben again. The 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 chimes of the bell of Big Ben. And then right. wait a minute, it strikes eight times, and he checks his watch, and his watch says it's his, eight o'clock. His and brand he says, new watch. Why would London's clock be on Polish time? Hold on a second. He goes over to a cabinet, opens it up. There's a tape recorder playing traffic sounds and Big Ben sounds. And I'm going to say, this is kind of a screw-up on the, the kind of screw-up the village doesn't usually do. I'm kind of surprised the village made a punk move like this. Well, it depends. It depends, Elliot. I mean, they didn't expect him to steal a watch from a, from a random Polish guy on a, on a rocky beach, but still. It was probably when the tape flipped over to the other side and it started playing uh, Haunted House <laughs> Haunted House sound effects, yeah. yeah. He's like, oh, I don't remember the, the, the headquarters of MI6 having so many spooky, creaky doors <laughs> and witch you cackles. You don't know what game number six was playing here, and you don't know what... Or, no, or, that's right. I don't know what game, you don't the know what game number playing. two was playing here. Yes. Right. Just as just as number two did not anticipate that this was basically a long wristwatch con for number six. <laughs> like, you know, this was a checkmate for for. Uh, yes, number that's two. true. Because there are two possible there are two possibilities. 
Okay. There was no way for Magoon to win. He was he was checkmated. Just as he had the colonel trapped in seven moves, excuse me, the general trapped in seven moves at the beginning of the episode, and he encourages him to resign, which is also a reference of the resign anyway. Mm-hmm. In this case, you know, I uh, it can go one of two ways. Uh, number six will say why he resigned to Colonel J, in which case they won. They, they got the and then inform- they go. They the we got it, and a buzzer right. goes off, and all the 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 walls of the building lift up and reveal yeah. that he's on a TV soundstage. Or right. and he tells them why he resigned. Cannon. I was wondering. They, he tells them why they, there's a good Fetty cannon. He gets a T-shirt. They yeah. he tells them why they resigned, and they go. Okay, well, you're free to go. And now the village has to put together an exact simulation of London that has to run forever until number six dies. Right. And it's like the Truman Show. And they're like, oh, all of our resources is go- are going to convincing number six that he's retired to the Cotswolds. This is a, this is a huge, a huge bust for us. And why right. he resigned was not that great. Or, he, or. The, or number six has stolen a Polish man's watch <laughs> and figures out that it's phony and the the lesson is taught. You'll never get away. You'll never yeah. get out. Because you're right. Every and, every adventure doubles as them teaching him that escape is futile. And right. questions are a burden and answers are a prison to oneself. And you're better off just just do, just kind of following along with us. And Leo McKern is out there when uh, number six walks out. And, you know, he gives an expression on his face that is sort of like, he appreciates him and he's kind of glad he's back. I kind yeah. of feel. But of course, we're not going to get to see them again for episode upon episode upon episode because and this is one of the weird things about the show The Prisoner because the the main character, The Prisoner, played by Leo McKern. <laughs> Incorrect. Is only seen in what some call the second episode and then goes away and only comes back again in the penultimate and ultimate episodes. Well, that's kind of like Blake Seven, Leaving isn't? Isn't, the, isn't Blake only in the first and like last episodes? Of I've Blake never seven? seen. I've never even seen Blake's one. Oh, okay. I, I've not seen Let any alone of the Blake's two through seven. <laughs> yeah. and there are all these episodes in between without Leo McKern, aka the prisoner, <laughs> that I I have chosen not to watch in my life, and perhaps will not watch again. But. Let me ask you this, because Leo McKern isn't there. Let me ask you this. In all these episodes, like, first of all, do any of them need to exist, Elliot? I feel like we've, I feel like this episode, so, The Chimes of Bing Ben, so masterfully encapsulates basically all of the philosophical questions about, of the show. Like, I don't understand where you go from here. I think that's a fair, that's a fair point. This show, that's why I think, again, this is like, the mo- the best kind of second episode in some ways is that it is the most prisoneriest prisoner and it there's the other episodes are only going to find different kind of alternate alterations or filigrees or they might have cool scenes or funny moments or good interactions or neat ideas or crazy ideas i mean there's a whole episode that's a western where they redo the opening of the show but he's a sheriff who's handing in his gun and then he's going off to another you know right. uh, little uh, t- uh Horse town, you know what do they call? Uh, you know, my yeah. I read about one that's all—it's all just a fake bedtime story. He reads to a child in the village. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, but but there's but there's so but you're right that this episode. If you were like, if you didn't, I mean, if you didn't love this episode and you were like, I don't, do I really need to watch more of the prisoner? I'd be like, you don't need to. You you got it. Like this basically tells you what you need to know. It doesn't prepare you for how kind of bonkers the last two episodes get. 
But is, you're right. The, the philosophical point that the show is making and which it will continue to keep making has been made in this episode. I think it's a, it's slightly different now that there's so much of, I feel, of this type of content. I hate to use the word content, but this type of storytelling now, storytelling where you can't kind of tell what's real and what's not real. And, you know, it's it's telling you to question right. things that a lot of the I think a lot of the uh, the excitement of watching week after week. And there's there's an interview you sent to me, John, where Alan Moore talks about the prisoner, where the excitement oh, of yeah. him as a as a young man or as a teenager, I think every week seeing on TV a show that is telling him the world is full of uh secrets and questions and you can't really trust things i'm sure that was a big shock at the time to have as a regular yes. dose but you're right now you could you could probably just watch this episode and be like i got it all it's, right it's i think it's very easy to forget how no, how novel this show looked and yeah. felt and definitely you know i i kept watching after this episode because i liked being in the i liked port marion i'd like i want to be in this world i want to be the cat in the village i want to live there so maybe I'll maybe I'll dip in before we get to the Leo Mick return when Leo McKern <laughs> comes back. The McKern return, yeah. The, yeah. The, are there any other number twos that you like or think are as are interesting in the same way or in a different way than than Leo McKern is as number two, the prisoner? You know what? I'm going to think about that and okay. and maybe for the next episode because I don't have any other time. Leo McKern is so he looms so large in this in the in the series as number two because he's just so he's got such a big character such a big force and charisma and personality to him he's got much more personality than the others uh much in the same way that like you can have as many doctor who's as as you're gonna have it's always gonna be tom baker to a certain extent in people's minds because he's just so like he just so overwhelms the other doctors you know in a way, but there uh, is no there is no character named Doctor Who. I don't know what you're talking about. No, you know what I mean. That's a, I mean this. It's that's pretty rich from the guy who was who was talking about the Thin Man and, and Link Zelda for quite some time in this episode. But I'm just being <laughs> accurate. There's no character named Doctor Who. Well, but the, yeah, the main guy, the Doctor, Doctor Who. I think there there are uh, there are episodes that I think are really fun, but it's not necessarily the number twos that carry them. It's more okay. that they the, as the show goes on, it it gets kind of stranger and more out there and just kind of tries different things. And there's like, there's a, um, there's an episode called the girl who was death. That's almost like a parody of a, of a spy story. Uh, and there's the show kind of, as it moves on, I will say this, this episode kind of encapsulates what the prisoner is all about. But as the series move on, number six gets the better of the number twos more and more. And even though he doesn't escape, he'll kind of have little Pyrrhic victories. And so you do see the tides begin to shift, which sets you up for the last two episodes where, Leo McKern, the only guy who really ever understood number six, gets brought back in to uh, to handle it, and he's like, "Oh, I'm getting too old for this prisoning." And they're like, "No, no, right. you gotta, you gotta do it." But uh, but it's I think there's something kind of beautiful about the fact that with the prisoner, it's almost like a fractal in a way, where every episode um, is kind of hitting similar notes and themes, and taken from afar, it becomes kind of like a more beautiful pattern but you can zoom in on any part of that pattern and see the pattern uh already there and fully formed i just can't wait to see that prisoner again played by leo mckern well you're the, you're going to in the star we pick it up i was one of the such of the i mean it's easy to forget just how novel this show was that the main character the prisoner was only in arguably three episodes some people say two some people say the second episode was the ninth episode or didn't ever exist some people <laughs> 
call this be potting you. I'm John Hodgman. I'm going to get back on the floor. I'm Elliot Kalin. I'm going to, I think, call a doctor and make sure John is okay. Jordan Cowling, what are you going to do after you press stop on this? I think I'll uh, boil three eggs and have a glass of whole milk to go along with it. Mmm, the prisoner diet. You're going to have a, 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 thruple, a bubble thruple. Yeah, that's what I call taking it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love it. And as always, be potting you. Boom, boom, boom. Ba, ba, ba. Ba, ba, ba.